0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done, too. And the available Pro Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available pro power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. At 5.20 local time, Saturday, November 18, 1978, on the Port Kaituma Airstrip in Guyana, members of the People's Temple, a religious and communist cult founded by American preacher and political activist Jim Jones, gunned down former mayor of San Francisco and California Congressman Leo Ryan. Four other members of Ryan's mission to investigate the cult's compound and save anyone who was trapped there were also shot dead. Another 11 were wounded. Within a few hours, over 900 more Americans would die in the jungle of South America, including nearly 300 children. Jim Jones had given his followers the order to commit revolutionary suicide. An order some accepted willingly and those who didn't were forced to accept. And everyone got a death cup of grape flavor aid laced with Valium, chloral hydrate, cyanide, and Finergan. Only a handful of the residents of Jonestown there that day would make it out alive. Why did Jim Jones order the deaths of his own followers? Why did he have the congressman killed? Why did nearly a thousand people follow Jim Jones to the jungles of South America in the first place? Find out all you ever wanted to know and more about the event that launched the phrase, Don't drink Kool-Aid and quite possibly the most insane episode yet of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Dan Cummins, and thanks for listening to Time Suck. Thanks to all you suckheads, all you Time Suckers out there for all the new iTunes reviews. We're halfway to the 600-reviewed JFK conspiracy suck. Only about 500 reviews left to go to get that Friday bonus suckage pounded into your ear holes. Thanks for all the new subscriptions and recommendations for others to listen. I appreciate all you spreading the suck very, very much. And of course, thanks for clicking on that Amazon button at timesuckpodcast.com to help the show while you do your Amazon shopping. Or maybe throwing some bucks to the suck using that donation button at timesuckpodcast.com. Or buying some of those first-generation Timesuck t-shirts this past week. Made out of 407% imported koala ovaries. The softest fabric on earth. You can see some pics of Time Suckers wearing those shirts on Instagram at, at Dan Cummins Comedy. You can see a picture of the second generation Time Suck t-shirt design on my Instagram page as well. Looking good. Uh, I'm so happy with how it turned out. It is at the printers now and will be up soon in the store. And big thanks to all of, the, uh, all of all of you who've been sending your show suggestions into me at admin at timesuckpodcast.com. I've uh, been busy getting back to everyone I can. Suckhead Amber Smith requested this topic. I also got emails looking to Jim Jones from Travis Melvin, Alex, Sarah Grigsby, Dominic Eaton, Alec Turmer, Noah Saldania, Ryan Daggett, Maddie Dupuis, and I'm sure a few others I missed. Thanks for being curious enough to write in, and I hope you like what you found. And uh, now... Let's see what some of uh, you other Time Suckers have been saying with some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. All right, check out this subject line. Please help me, almighty suck god. (laughs) Love it. I'm emailing you to help me with my husband. He religiously listens to your Time Suck podcast, Hail the Suck God. My husband, Phil, refuses to watch my favorite movie, The Big Lebowski, saying that it was so popular that all he heard was how cool it was And then made it a mission not to watch it. How fucking stupid does that sound? I made a deal with him. If you, the almighty suck God, can mention this email on one of your podcasts, that he will watch it with me. Please help me by telling Phil to stop being a dick and watch The Big Lebowski with his wife. Thank you, suck God. Jacqueline Manuel. Jacqueline, I'm on board. I'm on board. Stop being a stubborn stubborn dick sack. See the movie, Phil. The Big Lebowski is fucking great. Are you kidding me? I've talked about it on Sage, actually numerous times. I don't know if it's going to end up on, a, on an album, but it was part of a bit uh, until at least recently. Might come back. Uh, Has my favorite John Goodman role by far. You know, just shut the fuck up, Donnie! You see what happens, Larry? This is what happens when you try to fuck a stranger in the ass. So many good lines. So many good lines. Such good movies. The dude, man. Find out what I'm referring to, Phil. This aggression will not stand, man. Uh, okay, uh, it's genome. It's genome, not genome. Holy shit did I catch hell for pronouncing the human genome as the human genome. Uh, I got a, I got about literally 30 or 40 emails aggressively pointing out this mistake. You know, this is the problem uh, with being a loner and a reader instead of a socializer and a watcher. I'm actually fairly introverted in uh, my personal life. So, uh, I read way more uh, than I watch TV, your videos. I probably spend too much time alone. Uh, when I'm not with my kids, my wife. Traits really not conducive to learning proper pronunciation. You know, I'm just reading all these terms, not hearing them. Uh, I did, however, uh, you sons of bitches, get an email from Grant Johnson, uh, some which says, hey, Dan, well done on the Genetic Modification Podcast. I'll be honest, I was really looking forward to shouting out arguments to your mistakes while driving to work on this one, but you did a fantastic job. I'm an epidemiologist, an infectious disease expert, so this is a topic I'm pretty damn familiar with. Combine that with the true love of arguing with strangers and being a smug asshole in my super tiny field of expertise And I thought I'd have a ripe field for a great drive to work Much to my disappointment, you did good research and presented what you found very well So you hear that, you time suckers? An epidemiologist and infectious disease expert thought I'd handle the concept pretty well And the concept, a little more important than the occasional mispronunciation Mispronunciation, Jesus Christ I mispronounced mispronunciation for a second, but I corrected myself You motherfucker. So if uh, genome ruined the whole episode for you, you go suck yourself, okay? And Colton Hardy, time sucker who grew up on a dairy farm and is working uh, on a PhD in biochemistry, said, I thought he did really well presenting the science with not necessarily having a background in it. Yes! Uh, He also let me know that that funny little bee... In front of certain science-y words uh, is the Greek letter beta. So thank you, and, and thank you guys for writing in about that. It is it is good. It's humbling, and it's good that I that I learn. I really am becoming uh, better at pronouncing words in general because of this podcast. I can't believe that I, I hosted a show. I mean, it wasn't Playboy, so it's not like the standards were high. But I hosted a show for two years there. Oh my God, we doing stand up for years. Uh, I had a, I had a radio show years ago on Sirius XM. Jesus Christ, and I and I and I speak like fucking boomhauser. Uh, from King of the Hell. Anyway, uh, David Robertson and others wrote in, let me know. I, I referred to muscular dystrophy as MS uh, in the Genetic Modification Designer Baby episode. Uh, David uh, says that the actual acronym for mus- muscular dystrophy is MD. MS, on the other hand, stands for multiple sclerosis, a disease that makes your immune system attack the protective coating on your nerves. They have been trying to apply the CRISPR system to MS but haven't had as much success as they did with MD. So, sorry about that slip-up. I hope I I didn't give any false hope to anyone with MS. So, um, yeah. So, uh, in all seriousness, yeah, again, I do hope that the uh, baby genetic modification episode last week sparked some good thoughts and discussions with you. Uh, I know I got a lot of emails regarding that as well. Um, Just, you know, about the future of humanity, I think it's really important that we contemplate this. Uh, You know, what direction is our evolution heading? How How should we deal with it best? Important stuff. And finally, this is an email from Time Sucker, also named Dan. Uh, an email that twanged at my old heartstrings a little bit. Dan says, hey, Dan, wanted to preface this email with the fact that I love your comedy. And while seeing you in Erie, Pennsylvania this spring, you told me and, your, and my wife about your podcast and we've been suckers ever since. That being said, I also wanted to say I have loved listening to the podcast and designate time so I can listen to them uninterrupted uninterrupted in full. Well, that's nice. Uh, all except for Elisa Lamb, which I had a hard time struggling through. Uh, Reason being, in 2008, while attending Penn State University around 22 years old, I myself had a pretty significant manic episode, which landed me in a mental rehab facility for two weeks with almost two years of outpatient and personal rehabilitation. I have since found my career uh, at a shit plant nonetheless. That's hilarious to me. Uh, The love of my life and just had my first child. Uh, The reason the episode was so hard for me to listen to was that while you were explaining her story, it did in many ways remind me of my experience or what I remember of it. The grandiose thoughts, drawing bad connections and horrible conclusions, extreme risk-taking, all while believing I was on a bullshit mental journey that was complete horseshit, and if I was in any right state of mind, I would have known that. Almost everything you explained of her story, I agreed, uh, was part of a delusional manic episode. Many times when people hear bipolar, they think bouts of happiness and depression, never realizing the mania side of it. Or mania. Uh, Anyways, I I got through the podcast, and I'm glad I did. You brought up some good points, and to be honest, uh, make me feel happy knowing that some people are scared to think... They may not be able to control their minds yet. Some people love it themselves. Yep, and I do worry about that often. In fact, I honestly thought I was hallucinating some of the Jim Jones info I came across uh, later in this podcast because it was so unbelievable. I was like, am I fucking just losing it? Am I actually reading these things? Uh, And then he says, It is a lifelong journey and struggle, but with the right support and dedication and medication, it brings many wonderful things, like an appreciation for great laughter and fucking great comedy, something which you bring to my wife and I on a weekly basis. That was was nice. Uh, It was great to meet and see you live. Thanks again for the laughs. Thanks uh, for respectably and honestly tackling a subject that many people get ass hurt about. Keep on sucking, Master Sucker. Wow. Uh, Thank you, Dan. I'm extremely flattered, and to any listeners out there who may be struggling with serious mental uh, illness, uh, some mental health issue of your own, don't be afraid to get the help you need, man. I joke around a lot, even about uh, psychology and stuff, but, you know, get medicated. Don't lose your life because you were too proud to ask for help. Seriously, uh, I don't want to lose any subscribers. I've just fucking barely gotten enough uh, for sponsors, so don't don't fuck it up for me, you beautiful bastards. Love you, suckheads. Uh, Now let's suck some Jimmy, all right, all the way to the back of our throats. Let's get into some Jimmy Jones and get out of these Time Sucker updates. Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, turns out, other than uh, knowing he was a dude involved in a mass suicide a long time ago, I didn't know shit about Jim Jones before this suck. Wow, what a complicated, crazy story his life is. There are going to be some parts of the story that are so (laughs) crazy, you will think I'm leading you down one of those fake stories I do from time to time that I did a lot in the last episode. But then there's not going to be a just kidding. There's not going to be a, no, but seriously, this story is fucking just bananas. I felt like I was literally losing my mind a few times just uh, doing the research. Uh, like I had said, at a computer so long I was, I was maybe hallucinating some of this stuff. Just, I, I just kept thinking there's no way what I just heard could be real. I'd have to like re-listen to videos. I'm like, what? They're really saying that. They're not joking. This isn't a parody. This is an actual documentary. Uh, It's the only episode that my research creeped my wife out. She just overheard some uh, some audio I was listening to, and it really bugged her. Uh, Well, before we get into the actual Jonestown massacre, um, we need to learn uh, who Jim Jones was. And he was, uh, again, an an extremely complicated, complex dude. So let's start at his beginning and work our way to Guyana and the final days uh, of his cult with what ends up being a, a pretty dark and twisted Time Suck Timeline. Trap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. May thirteenth, 1931. Jim Jones is born into the unincorporated township of Crete, Indiana. Crete uh, barely has a Wikipedia page, and the only notable person it mentions being from Crete is Jim Jones. So, you know, not a lot going on in Crete. Crete is just outside of Lynn, Indiana, a town of roughly 1,000 people in central Indiana, kind of east-central Indiana, that, unlike uh, Crete, has a post office, and like Crete, lists Jim Jones as being its only notable person. So, you know, Jim Jones was born out in the sticks at the beginning of the Great Depression, not the best time and place to kick off your experience of America. Uh, Jim's father was James Thurman Jones, a disabled World War One veteran, not to be confused with James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, who said, "No, I am your father, not Luke. I am your father," as we learned in the Mandela Effect episode. Uh, Jim's mom, Lynetta Jones. Lynetta, what a classic small town name. No one named Lynetta is born in Manhattan, right? Uh, you know, no one, no, no, no Lynetta. Uh, father is a father is a Wall Street banker who was born in the Upper East Side. Uh, Another, she worked a variety of uh, odd jobs to keep food on the table. And according to biography.com, uh, Jim's mom was rarely around the house due to work, and Jim's dad had little interest in him. Odd side note Jim's mom uh, was apparently convinced that she had given birth to a messiah. Uh, Jim apparently believed her as well, as we'll find out later uh, Bit of a latchkey kid, Jim spent a lot of time with neighbors growing up And ended up going to different local churches with different local neighbors Because, you know, when you're living in the Crete Lynn area of rural east central Indiana in the 1930s Church is what you do It's not like there was an arcade or movie theater Not even uh, some TV to watch And I'm guessing the radio options were somewhat limited Probably, probably just stations broadcasting uh, more church Pentecostalism uh, was hot at that time in the area, and Jim befriended a local Pentecostal minister. Uh, I know a thing or two about Pentecostalism. I grew up uh, around it in the small town of Riggins, Idaho, went to a number of churches there myself, and my grandfather is a lifelong Pentecostal minister. Uh, Pentecostalism has been popular in rural America for a long time, and and it's all about living a spirit-filled life. Pentecostals uh, believe they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and are, are empowered by God with gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as divine healing, speaking in tongues, I've witnessed both uh, the speaking in tongues and the laying on of hands to heal someone, uh, and it's fucking super weird. It's very extreme. Uh, It would scare the shit out of a Roman Catholic, for example. Snake handling, you know, that came out of Pentecostalism. And to be clear, 99.9% of Pentecostal churches have nothing to do with snake handling, but there's a reason it came out of Pentecostalism and not like, you know, Lutheranism or Catholicism. I think this is important to know about Jim. Uh, I personally think being raised Pentecostal, it it gives you a, a better chance of starting a cult than being raised like Methodist. You know, it's more extreme. The congregation is used to, uh, used to and, and kind of willing to accept more extreme ideas. You know, you witness firsthand uh, extreme types of religious concepts, you know, that people are willing to accept. I witnessed when I was 18, uh, my grandma stand up in the middle of a sermon, my grandma, my grandma Carol, and just wave her arms around. And just start. she just started yelling, just, children, children of God, come to me. I'm here for you, my babies. I'm your God. I'm your loving God, children. Tears filling their eyes. Others just shouting, Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise God! Me and my sister, uh, who only went along to make my dad happy, just looking at each other like, what the actual fuck is going on here? Well, Grandma Carol was taken in the spirit. The spirit had filled her with the message of the Lord. She was God's conduit. Uh, In that same sermon, my 13-year-old sister was brought uh, to the pastor uh, up to the pulpit, Several deacons, church members, uh, did the laying on of hands on her, placing their hands her, upon her body and casting out evil spirits that were trying to keep her from the Lord, casting out her doubt over God's word. You know, with your almighty power, Father, I cast these troubling thoughts and spirits out of her body. Can I get an amen? You know, just, just that kind of craziness. And uh, I think the pastor picked on my sister uh, or chose her to come up because he knew I'd wa- I would walk the fuck out if they were going to try that shit on me at 18 years old. Uh, Side so note, didn't work. My sister is still a godless heathen. Her spirit doomed to the eternal flames of hell. I love my sister. Well, uh, young Jim Jones uh, got into religion more than most his age. Uh, Maybe it was because his parents didn't force it on him. Maybe it's because he found it on his own. Uh, Jim's classmates weren't as into religion as he was, and it kind of left him isolated from his peers as a young kid. They thought he was a weirdo, which he was, (laughs) which he was, as we'll find out. Um... And also, you know, because his parents weren't uh, that involved with him socially, he had a lot of time alone, used that time to read. Uh, allegedly, he was a voracious reader, you know, and he wasn't reading like Pulp Fiction. All right, he wasn't, he wasn't reading, uh, you know, just some silly nonsense, comic books. He was reading the Bible, uh, He was reading books on Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mahatma Gandhi, even Adolf Hitler. Uh, according to a PBS program on Jim, kids who knew him remember uh, him, yeah, just being like super obsessed with religion uh, and obsessed with death. And based on what he does later, uh, you wonder if he was studying religion uh, at some point as a kid, kind of like, um, kind of like he was studying these books. You know, like maybe from an early age, he knew it was a, just a good way to manipulate people, manipulate the masses. Uh, Jim also became interested in race relations at a young age. He claimed his father, who he uh, referred to later as an alcoholic, had ties to the KKK. And uh, not a big fan of his deadbeat, alcoholic, racist dad. Uh, made more effort than most white kids in the 30s and early 40s to befriend local African-Americans. Legend has it uh, that years later, his dad wouldn't let uh, him bring one of his, his black friends home and to come into the house. And Jim then didn't speak to his father for years. It's right, 1945. In 1945, Jim parents, uh, Jim's parents, uh, James and Lynetta, uh, they divorce, and he goes to live with his mom in the bustling metropolis of Richmond, Indiana. 35,000 people the county seat of Wayne County, Indiana, a uh, two-time winner of the All-America City Award given to 10 communities each year by the National Civic League in the United States uh, whose citizens work together to identify and tackle community-wide challenges and achieve uncommon results. Notable residents of uh, Richmond also include uh, Jim Jones, of course. In addition to Jim, uh, Richmond has also raised Del Harris, head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers in the late 90s. Uh, head coach of the Flat Earth Prankster, Shaquille Diesel O'Neal. Richmond also produced Weeb Eubank, head coach of the 1958 and 1959 NFL champions, the Baltimore Colts. Uh, And a man who got into football as a child to work out the frustration he had uh, from being teased continually for having the first name of Weeb. What's up, Weeb? What a fucking name that is. Uh, Richmond also produced uh, Makaja C. Henley, a.k.a. the Roller Skate King whose patented roller skates outsold all roller skate competitors in the 1890s. Makaja and Weeb. Had a lot of fun with names back in Richmond. Well, while living in Richmond, uh, which in my mind looks like Disneyland's Main Street, USA, young Jim works at a hospital as an orderly uh, while still in high school and meets young nurse and hottie boom body, Marceline Baldwin, uh, who I wish for the sake of this story was related to Alec Baldwin, but I don't think that's the case. Well, June 12th, 1949, Marceline, what another great small town name, Marceline and Jim do what young people do in Indiana in the 1940s, and they get married, young. Uh, Jim had just turned 18, graduated high school the month before. Marceline is 22, scandalous. She's She's a horny old maid, seducing a young fellow. And uh, after getting married, the couple moves to the nearby college town of Bloomington, Indiana, where Jim attends classes at Indiana University and where a young Jim listens to a speech on racial equality given by Eleanor Roosevelt that really leaves an impression on him. Uh, 1951, Jim and Marceline moved to Indianapolis, uh, just steadily moving up the Indiana urban population ladder. Crete to Lynn to Richmond to Bloomington to Indiana's biggest city, Indianapolis. It was here that the man who read Stalin and Marx as a child would attend his first communist meetings. Okay, quick note on communism. It's come up in the Marilyn Monroe episode, the Pablo Escobar episode, and and again now, it's been a big unintentional theme. I had no idea uh, it would be when I selected these three topics. I didn't realize how communist ideals floating around in the Americas uh, was really a common phenomenon in the Americas during the the mid-20th century. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines communism as a theory advocating elimination of private property. And also a system in which goods are owned in common and are available to all as needed. It also goes on to say that communism is a doctrine based on revolutionary Marxian socialism and Marxism Marxism, uh, slash Leninism that was the official ideology of the USSR. uh, Or a totalitarian system of government in which a single authoritarian party controls state-owned means of production or a final stage of society in Marxist theory in which the state has withered away and economic goods are distributed equitably. I define communism as uh, some idealistic nonsense that only works in theory. In the late 1940s and 1950s, the U.S. government and the American general population was terrified of communism, right? This is the fucking Cold War. Focus on communism during this period of of U.S. history became known as – I don't even know if it was the Cold War. I just threw that out there. Got the term stuck in my head. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a, put a question mark on that. That didn't come from my research. Maybe it was, maybe not. But there was a huge uh, uh, fear of communism. It was known as the Red Scare. Actually, around that time, federal employees uh, were analyzed to determine, you know, whether they were sufficiently loyal to the government. That was going on at this time. Uh, the House on Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, as well as U.S. Senator Joseph R. McCarthy. They were investigating allegations of subversive elements in the government and in the Hollywood film industry to make certain no communist propaganda was being unleashed on American children. You know, this is when People were very, very serious about communism. Karl Marx's notion of communism, laid out by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in 1848, called for a violent revolution by the poor working class to topple the wealthy, factory-owning elites to create a society in which all of economics and all politics are combined into one perfect, classless, automatic Governmentless system based on common ownership of all economic means of production and social sameness. And this is what Jim Jones began to desperately want to create a society free of classes, a society free from the racism he saw around him, a society free from the separation between the haves and the have nots, free of ageism, sexism, etc. He began to see capitalism as evil and oppressive. And to be clear, Because of some confusion from some of you listeners, I am not personally in favor of communism. Uh, I've referenced what Pablo thought about it, and now what Jim Jones thought about it, and I got some emails where some of you suckheads apparently thought, I'm a big red. I'm not. I think it's a beautiful dream, Uh, just a dream where we all share everything, we all get along, you know, but but I think it's just that. I think it's a dream. I don't believe human nature would ever allow uh, that type of society to exist for for any length of time on, on any scope. You know, like... Evolution and natural selection is based on natural competition, and I think we're hardwired to compete for our survival, and competition kills communism. I'm a big fan of properly regulated capitalism. Don't allow one company to too thoroughly dominate any particular industry and then unfairly set the price because there's no competition to drive the price down. And whenever I look at big fans of communism, people like Jim Jones, I never believe they really believe in it, truly, truly. They don't really want everybody to equal, uh, you know. Jim didn't. He wanted everyone else to be equal, and then he wanted to be a step above that. He wanted all these equal people doing equal jobs to listen to him, you know, without fucking criticism. That's not equality. That's one person being a dictator. You know, most communist leaders, uh, I think they they want they want to be well taken care of dictators, and they want everyone else to be communist. I just I just don't buy it. And in keeping with my capitalist ideals. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about our first sponsor. Uh, Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Audible. Uh, Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? With Audible, get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read on the go. The Audible app is free and works on iPhones, the iPad, Android, and Windows phones as well. You can also download and listen to Audible on your Kindle Fire. Over 500 different MP3 players. With Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime. And anywhere right from your smartphone Probably like you're doing with the podcast right now Right? Like you're you're sucking time suck You can suck some Audible Audible also has the great listen uh, guarantee If you decide you don't like the book You've chose, no worries You can simply push a button on the Audible app And the president The president of Audible Will be immediately zapped With 300 volts of knock you on your ass Knock you down to the floor Knock you unconscious electricity All right? You take that, President of Audible, for not giving me what I wanted, person who doesn't know me immediately, but then giving it to me later. No, you can exchange any book you weren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. For instance, if you love this episode and you want to learn more about Jimmy Jones, old JJ, old Jimmy Jones, you might want to check out a new book on Jim Jones. It just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I checked out a lot of the reviews, you know, referenced it myself for this episode. It's called The Road to Jonestown. Jim Jones and the People's Temple by Jeff Gwynn. So there you go, you know, enjoy a walk in the park and a twist in the plot. You can't make more time, but you can make the most of it. So turn your commute into something more with a free trial at Audible. So go to audible.com slash timesuck to take advantage of this deal. That's audible.com slash timesuck. Okay, 1952. In 1952, Jones enters the ministry while still taking college classes, night classes now at Butler University. Uh, He'd eventually get a degree in secondary education. Uh, He became a student pastor at Somerset Southside Methodist Church. And according to later biographers, uh, Jones' move into the church was his way of subversively spreading his Marxist ideals after being harassed by the FBI for attending some of those communist meetings. He quickly gained a reputation as a charismatic uh, uh, evangelist, Jesus Christ, and faith healer, uh, putting that early Pentecostal exposure to good use. And many of his healings uh, were later revealed to be staged, as most faith healings are. Come on. Uh, Many of the cancers coughed up were were actually found to be bloody chicken parts. Many of the infirmed were perfectly healthy people in disguise. I've always wondered how faith healers uh, get people to fake a healing, right? Like, how do you sell that? Just, uh, hey, hey, look. Look. I need your help today. Usually, I can knock out a broken leg, no problemo. But today, my God connection is down. It's down. Bad timing, right? Night of the big faith healing and the tenth revival. It's because of where the moon is in its cycle. and It has little to do with the Uranus being too close to Saturn. But look, I'd love to explain it all, but we don't have time right now. So if you could just put this cast on the... If you could just take of uh, these crutches uh, and you could just limp around a little bit uh, until I call you up And then you can yammer on about being cured uh, from a polio or, or whatnot Gosh, uh, uh, I sure reckon I'd be grateful uh, I don't know uh, he, used to <laughs> he used to hire private investigators to get personal information about faith healing convention attendees Home addresses, social security numbers you know, so he could magically reveal the information to the church attendees. Uh, Time suck topic. Harry Houdini would have had a field day exposing this dude as a fraud early on. Well, 1954, uh, Jones branches out on his own after the church he's working at refuses to hold racially integrated services. He doesn't just want to con white people; he wants to con everybody. <laughs> now, actually, he would be uh, he would become a monster later. But as a young man, uh, you know, despite the the fake and the faith, ones, the guy was a true pioneer in racial equality. Uh, he opens the Community Unity Church in a small rented space in Indianapolis. 1956, Jones Congregation is growing, and he buys his first church right, uh, in a racially mixed neighborhood in Indianapolis. And he opens the Wings of Deliverance Church, which would soon change its name to the church that would remain until Jonestown Massacre of, eight, of 1978, the People's Temple. Uh, the church was dissolved uh, after, after the massacre. Kind of hard to keep the movement going when 99 percent of your congregation and your leader have killed themselves or been murdered by other members that would that would make for an awkward church service of the people's temple in 1979 just okay so um thank you thank you all for coming today and by all of you uh, I, I of course I uh, of course mean you Gary so so should we talk about uh, what Jim would have wanted us to do uh, which would be kill ourselves yeah you know? uh, or uh, you know, just have a few donuts and stare silently off to, into the distance, and uh, try and think about what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. Uh, in those early years, uh, Jim's uh, grows his congregation by buying time on local AM radio stations, delivering sermons by holding giant religious conventions where he's he's bringing in more well known evangelists to headline the event. Uh, I love that there's a whole circuit for this. Kind of like it, it must have been like similar to the stand up comedy circuit, you know? I wonder if these evangelists after shows would just be backstage talking about how they just killed it. Like some comics do. Just nice sermon, Jebediah. You crushed it out there, brother. You crushed it. Love the new stuff. It didn't even seem new. It seemed polished. I'll be honest. It seemed totally polished. Seemed like some of your best stuff. You been working it out at the local community church open Mike nights? Well, 1960. Uh early on, uh, Jimmy does do some cool shit. All right. He's a lot more than a phony faith healer. The People's Temple opens a soup kitchen in nineteen sixty in Indianapolis, handing out about twenty eight hundred meals a month to the local poor. He encourages church members to dress casually so that no one feels less than anyone else. The People's Temple uh, offers social services that include rent assistance, job placement, uh, free canned goods, clothing, coal for winter heating. Uh, January 6, 1961, uh, Jim works so hard and does so much for the city's disenfranchised that uh, on that date, Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell appoints him to be the director of the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission. The appointment increased Jim's public visibility a ton. You know, you know, he's speaking about his work at the poor, and of course he's talking about the People's Temple on public radio, local news, public te- television. Got a lot of media coverage when he campaigned for the racial integration of local businesses, and then that kind of uh, backfired on his church. You know, the, the racial integration philosophy didn't set well with everyone in 1960s Indiana. This is a state that just a few decades before had one of the largest and most active branches of the KKK in America. Uh, his church gets a swastika spray painted on it. Shots are fired at his temple. A stick of dynamite is found outside the temple. Pretty big warning. Jim gets some harassing phone calls at his home. Uh, even a dead cat is supposedly thrown in his yard. <laughs> but from what I read, I think this is weird, it didn't even sound like it was Jim's cat. Who the fuck, who does that? What does a random dead cat being thrown thrown in your yard have to do with racial integration protests, you know? Just a couple rednecks. God damn it, Rodney Bobby! I'm, I'm mighty sick of Jim Jones' shit. I'm mighty sick. Well, you're preaching to the choir, Ricky Randy. You ain't need to get me on board. We got to do us something, Rodney Bobby. We got to teach this Jim Jones a lesson. Yeah, a lesson. That's exactly what I was thinking, Ricky Randy. But what? I don't know. But until we think of something better, I want you to grab me a cat. What cat? Oh, go grab me one of Donnie Michaels' cats. Or, or maybe one of Doug Kyle's cats. Maybe one, maybe one of Susie Wendy's cats. Well, what are we going to do with that there cat? We're going to kill it. We're going to kill that kitty cat. And we're going to throw it in Jim Jones' yard. Woo-woo! 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 That's, that's how I, I felt like the meeting went down. <laughs> well, in the early 1960s, the negative kickback on Jones' racial integration push is creating a lot of stress in Jim's life and behind the scenes, he also confesses, confesses to Marceline around this time uh, that he no longer believes in God at all, which doesn't set well with her And you know, initially. Uh, she's not using religion as a way to indoctrinate others with communist ideals she actually believes in God. So there's friction at home. And perhaps in a response to all this stress, Jim starts abusing amphetamines. If you remember from the Pablo Escobar episode, uh, amphetamines were popular and easy to get in America at this time, and they were legal. In the 1960s, legal amphetamines were being abused at the same rate as meth is being abused today. And then, just like now, they share the same negative side effects, one of which is paranoia. Uh, hallucinations and paranoia can be the effects of chronic, long-term abuse. And in the early 1960s, Jim had visions that giant global nuclear attacks were imminent. He uh, He claimed Chicago and Indianapolis would be destroyed in 1967, and then he read an article in Esquire magazine about the nine safest places to live on Earth where you could most likely survive a nuclear attack, and uh, the area around Ukiah, California was one of these places. In 1965, Jim, his wife, there are seven adopted rainbow children of various races, including African-American, Native American, and Korean uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen uh, Gandhi Jones – Uh, Their five-year-old biological son And about 140 members, maybe max 100 to 140 members of their congregation Moved to the Redwood Valley just outside of Ukiah Uh, No wonder uh, he was taking uppers He had eight fucking kids No wonder he thought about suicide a lot I love my kids, but I'd rather drink some Kool-Aid And have six more of them Jesus Christ, I don't know how some people do it Well, with church money uh, Jim you know, was able to buy a new church in the Redwood Valley and also a farm in 1965 and Jim Jones' experiment and communal living began. Uh, they'd have goats, chickens, cows, crops. They're able to supply themselves with their own uh, food grown on their own land. There's no racial segregation at the people's temple, Redwood Valley compound, no economic segregation, just communal church-owned homes and devoted followers living under the watchful eye of a man who doesn't actually believe in God and who told them uh, Indianapolis would be destroyed in a nuclear attack in 1967 even though They'd live outside of Ukiah until 1974. What the hell did he say to his followers in 1968? Hey, you guys, I I know a lot of you are confused as to why Indianapolis is not currently a pile of radioactive rubble. You're saying stuff to me like Jim. Jim, we moved across the country to avoid a nuclear attack. You said would happen, and now that nuclear attack has not happened. How how, how can you explain this? Well, my children, uh, the explanation is simple you you miss you misheard me you you, miss, you misheard me you, see you thought I said nuclear when when what I really said, if you have been listening extra closely like like you should have been, uh, I said t- a tucular I said a tucular attack was going to destroy Indianapolis. a tucular attack is when the spiritual environment is destroyed that you can't see the spiritual environment but that I can and I assure you three. Two clear clear bombs wiped Indianapolis off the the map last year, and and the city is completely spiritually destroyed. Anywho, check out that that sunset. (laughs) Oh, sure is beautiful here. I'm I'm sure glad I moved us to California. I mean, right, right guys? Come come on now. Come on. Who's with me? Okay, so Jim encourages church members to give uh, over their properties and savings to the cause. Many do. They're able to buy some Greyhound buses. Start touring around the country in the summers on recruitment campaigns to bring more people to Ukiah. Jim would put on elaborate faith healing demonstrations and just mesmerize people. I've watched YouTube videos, and the dude is magnetically charismatic. He whips these religious audiences into a frenzy. Like, it's a, it's pretty unreal. People are getting, you know, uh, setting their crutches down. They're taking off casts. They're stepping on a wheelchair. Fuck. He goes big. He goes big. I saw a video of this elderly woman. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is so crazy. She's supposedly wheelchair-bound. Uh, some woman who Jim supposedly doesn't know starts to slowly get up on, on you know shaky legs as Jim commands her to say, I, "I command you to stand, stand, ma'am. I command you to stand." And the power of Jesus, stand, praise Jesus. The organ music is going in the background. People are clapping their hands. He's like, "Stand, stand. The power of Jesus commands you to stand." she's <laughs> fucking people are getting so worked up, she takes some shaky steps you know and she starts fucking, then she starts like kind of jogging and then she 's running then she's waving her arms in the air, and people are oh my God, and people are crying hallelujah, you know she's crying, fucking everybody's going fucking bananas you know he's leading this congregation into a, to ecstasy well, it turns out that lady was a perfectly able bodied people 's temple secretary. <laughs> Again, how did he convince other people's temple members that that was fucking cool? How did he get them to see him as anything but a charlatan after that? I don't know. Well, to make money, the church begins investing in things like elderly group homes, you know? They're kind of like part of their mission of helping the poor uh, while while gaining some income and some real estate assets. Turns out, as you'll see later, he 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 was not totally on the up and up in these business dealings. Uh, communal members' possessions were being sold through temple antique stores, weekend flea markets, talked a lot of elderly members into giving all of their belongings over to the church. In exchange, the church would take care of them, uh, not just by putting them in a nursing home, but by making them part of the community. And he also made uh, money by applying a little Jim Jones communism on his members' capitalist uh, careers. <laughs> Many uh, younger Jim's uh, People's Temple members took jobs in the area, or new recruits, you know, already had jobs already. And, uh, and Jim insisted they hand over their entire paycheck to the church, and then they receive a small allowance back from the church. You know, again, kind of like using capitalism to kind of fucking put some communist umbrella over it. Really weird. Maybe not a big deal if you're an assistant janitor. A uh, huge deal if you're a head surgeon. Take that capitalistic uh, wage you've been earning, and then you, uh, you know, you hand it over, and then he gives you, a, everyone gets the same amount regardless of your career communist allowance. Fucking my classic Jim Jones, man. <laughs> you just got Jim jones uh, the church would also take care of every member's medical and dental needs. They had, they had, uh, uh, their jobs that they did for the church on top of their private jobs, you know, helping take care of animals, the crops, helping, uh, con- construct, you know, new church facilities, uh, helping the elderly in the church, nursing homes, et etc., et etc. Et uh, I watched countless interviews with former members. And one thing they keep coming back to is being so busy working all these jobs. There was very little time for sleep. They talk about only getting a few hours of sleep a night, night after night, after night, Always so tired, all the time. Uh, they just didn't feel like they could think, you know? And they just let Jim think for them, you know? Because he, he'd, he'd, like, hold these these meetings again until, like, dawn the next day. I kind of get that, man. I get being so tired. You're just like, yeah, well, just whatever. you whatever, Jim. You, you just tell me what to do. Like, you feel like a zombie? Uh, Jim probably wasn't getting much sleep either, but he didn't need it, you know? He was jacked up on amphetamines all the time. Uh, even though he preached a clean lifestyle. Amphetamines that were making him so insane out there in Northern California, he begins telling church members he's an actual prophet of God now, Uh, and God's name is amphetamine, or perhaps God's name is Nimrod, Lord of the Galaxy. God is speaking to Jim. It's God's words according to Jim. Uh, A little-known fact the Belushi's sitcom, According to Jim, was based on Jim Jones. I don't know if you know that. Uh, They just tweaked uh, Belushi's character a little bit, made him a stereotypical uh, uh, sitcom, cliche, husband whose uh, wife is always right, instead of a socialist cult leader who would eventually force his wife to commit suicide with many others. But, you know, other than that, is it's like the same guy. Okay, and then as time goes by, Jim starts to drop the Christian act. He starts to transform his Christian sermons into socialist sermons. He starts telling his followers that the Bible is actually bad for them, that it's a vehicle of oppression, that has been holding down the black men and women of, of, of all colors for centuries. That old Karl Marx religion of the is the opium, opium of the people teachings are coming out. He'd have stuff like throw the Bible onto the ground during a sermon. And then when, when the room is dead quiet, he asks, uh, do you see any lightning coming down to strike me? There's no heaven up there. We need to build heaven for ourselves right here. And these people go along with it. I gotta say, man, that's an impressive pivot. To bring people into a Christian cult and slowly but surely turn them into a communist cult that renounces many of the teachings of Christianity. He tells Christians that the Bible is false, that he is God's true prophet. Not an easy sell, man. If Jim Jones would have focused his energy on being like a car salesman, many of you would be driving cars you'd recently driven off of one of the, one of many uh, of the Jim Jones dealerships cross country. He, al- he also starts preaching uh, some weird sexual shit in the 1970s. Some sermons uh, <laughs> Oh, man. You can just, like, hear the amphetamines talking. You can hear the pep pills talking in these sermons. Jim starts telling his congregation that everyone is actually gay, uh, everyone except for him. Jim Jones is literally the only straight man left on Earth, and if his followers, his children, try to engage in heterosexual relationships, they're just overcompensating for their homosexuality. Jim tells followers that sexual relationships are selfish. They take away from the focus on the community. This is all stuff I, re- I read in a number of sources and watched uh, uh, former members give firsthand accounts of in the PBS Jonestown documentary that's on YouTube. Uh, and Jim uh, also offers to, to satisfy the basic primitive sexual needs of his followers. He's, he's not going to ask you to be celibate, but then not jerk you off from time to time. That wouldn't be Jim Jones that everyone loves and respects. That's not classic Jim Jones. That's not how you get Jim jones But seriously, uh, he does make some offers, some crazy offers. Now this, I promise you, I'm not making this up. This is not some crazy Bojangles trick. You're not getting Bojangled here. One former member said that Jim offered to, quote, fuck him in the ass if that's what he needed. End <laughs> quote. Seriously. Jim explained that he wasn't gay, but, but this guy was gay, even though he thought he was straight. And he'd be and be happy to give him what he needed, and apparently he needed some buggery. Again, I'm not making this up. Jim also transitions from God's prophet to just God around this time. You know, Mom is right. Linda's baby is the Messiah. Tells followers if they need him to be God, he'll be God for them. And apparently, God is real into ass fucking. Uh, I did not, <laughs> I did not read or hear about any claims for him to take it in the ass from any of his followers. I guess that's you know wouldn't be godlike. And and apparently, so apparently, by the mid '70s, Jim is living on nothing but amphetamines. Uh, for breakfast, he eats a pile of amphetamines then washes them down with another pile of amphetamines. He's poured into a cup. Um, so this one dude said that, that once when a bunch of dudes were working together on a compound, somebody said, I think if anyone wants father to screw them in the butt, they need to take an enema first. I swear to you, this is what this guy says in this PBS documentary. And then apparently someone else asked other members uh, to raise their hands if Jim had given them anal sex and a whole bunch of their hands went up. And then this dude who hadn't gotten that yet (laughs) said he got real nervous and he was like, I got scared. And I thought, is this what's coming for me? Is this what it's all leading to? This is messed up, but so funny with me. Like, how do you let your mind go to a place as a heterosexual grown man where you buy into the faith healing initially, uh, and then you buy into living in some community where everyone is equal, and then you buy into some notion that maybe the Bible's wrong, then you buy that this dude is maybe God's prophet, then you buy maybe he is God, then your new God tells you everyone is homosexual, including you, even though you've never been sexually attracted to women, uh, to anything but women, and then God tells you he's going to fuck you in the ass. No wonder he was able to convince these people to kill themselves later. If you can convince a bunch of straight dudes to stop having sex with women and let you sodomize them, they are your zombies. They will do anything you tell them. And Jim just didn't have sex with uh, male members. He also had numerous affairs with female followers, such as Carolyn Layton, a church administrator with whom he'd had a son. Jim ran an early Jonestown test in Ukiah as well. During one sermon, he told everyone to drink some punch. They all did. Then he told them it was poisoned, and that they would all die together in the church as one group. He then told him after a few minutes that it wasn't poison, and then he did that as a test of their loyalty, their commitment to the cause. Would they do what he asked, regardless of what he asked? Some other members who who left after this realized uh, he did this as a, yeah, complete control test. You know, did he have 100% control of these people? Jim began expanding his church around California in the early 70s, giving regular sermons, participating in political demonstrations in L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, Members also began to be routinely beaten for minor infractions. Uh, Grown-ass men would be spanked. In front of other members. Sodomized and spanked. A lot of butt play at the People's Temple. Old Jim play Jones. Well, if it isn't, Jimmy Sodomite. Uh, spankings weren't even the weirdest things I read about. Former members talked about being forced into boxing matches. When someone messed up, they'd be forced to box uh, several other members. The guilty party might be forced to box several members at a time or maybe several fights in a row. How fucking weird is that? He'd have his followers fight themselves. How do you still justify being part of Jim's crew at this point? I don't know what the name is for the psychological term or phenomena or if there even is one, but I think you just feel at this point, and you'll understand this if you play poker, you feel pot committed, right? You've already bet a few hundred bucks on the flop. You didn't get that card needed on the turn, but if you fold now, you're definitely going to lose. So even though you only have a pair of twos, no chance at making that straight or flush. You call the other players $500 raise, hoping against all reason or sanity that somehow you'll win on the river, Right? You know, these people, you know, maybe, maybe you've already given two years' worth of paychecks to Jim, you moved across the country, you, you know you're being forced to fight is crazy, but if you walk away now, you're just a guy who lost all his money and got fucked in the ass and you have nothing to show for it. You know, you don't get to be part of Jim's new society or his big utopian mission or whatever dream he's selling you. Well, in 1971, uh, Jim Jones opens the New People's Temple Church in San Francisco. In 1972, he opens a new branch in L.A., uh, new members were sought out and carefully screened in both locations. Jim would have Temple members go through it, uh, 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 go through the trash of new recruits. <laughs> he would supposedly, uh, you know, just looking for anything that, you know, like, like if they were kind of some spy from the government or something, trying to find evidence against them. Uh, he would uh, supposedly have them sign documents admitting they'd done horrible things that they'd never done, like having molested their own children, documents that, w- that would then be released if they ever left the movement, blackmail documents. He wanted to prove their total commitment to the movement. Uh, around this time, Jim Jones himself moves uh, the headquarters of the People's Temple from Redwood Valley to San Francisco. He re enters local politics, uh, having his supporters help various candidates into office who are in line with Jim's left leaning political beliefs. 1973, Lester Kinsolving, an ordained Episcopal priest and a reporter for San Francisco Press, wrote an eight-part series of articles that documented allegations of physical abuse at the hands of Jim Jones. Financial misdeeds, suspect theology with People's Temple, the first four articles ridiculed Jim Jones' claims of divinity, his ability to raise the dead. That's a fun claim to make. How does does that not fold when someone's like, Okay, prove it. Let's head to the cemetery. I want to see you raise some of these dead. Oh, uh, you mean that kind of dead. Brother, I meant I could awake those uh, who were dead tired if you would have listened carefully. That's what I was saying. I can awaken the dead tired people. Uh, the articles criticized questionable financial dealings, exposed involvement in Mendocino County where Ukiah is located uh, with employees and public officials in the, in the temple. Temple members mobilized to write letters to the editor of the examiner and picketed the newspaper's office in protest, and then the Examiner caved to the pressure, dropped the final four articles slated for the series. And, uh, and the bad press kind of went away for a little bit, but it, but it scared Jim. After these articles, Jim Jones prepared an immediate action contingency plan for responding to a police or media crackdown. He's getting more paramo- paranoid on that uh, amphetamines. And in October 1973, the directors of the People's Temple passed a resolution to establish an agricultural mission in Guyana, a cult compound, after researching several international options based on Guyana's economy and the fact that in the 1970s for a little while, Guyana did not have an extradition treaty with the U.S., There was also a lot of communist and socialist idealists living in Guyana. Guyana uh, achieved independence from Britain in 1966, didn't settle on a governmental style until 1970 when the country chose a democratic-style government over a Marxist government. The democratic candidate Forbes Burnham, backed by the CAA, Forbes Burnham, what a great name for a politician. Hello, I'm Forbes Burnham, and I stand for truth, honor, integrity, prosperity, and many other outstanding virtues and words. The CIA as we learned in the Pablo uh, Escobar episode has been fucking with everyone in South America during the mid to late 20th century. However, Forbes ends up not being the man the CIA thought he was. Once in power, Forbes began leaning further and further to the left and by 1973 when Jim Jones chose Guyana, Guyana was essentially a socialist state. Well, you know who wasn't fucking with everybody in South America during the mid late uh, to late 20th century, who has no ties to any socialist movement whatsoever? Our second sponsor, Time Suck is brought to us today by Dollar Shave Club. A great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. Don't buy a cheap disposable razor that gave you a cheap shave. Don't spend a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving tech you didn't need. Don't try to shave your face with rusty scissors. That's the worst choice of all. No, get a DSC executive razor, slap on some Dr. Carver shave butter, and see if you can hear your face squeal with joy as you shave it. For me, uh, more great blades showing up every month is the best part Before a dollar shave I'm pretty sure the razor I, I went out and bought in an actual store Had been sitting next to my sink for about two years It's rust had rust on it Instead of shaving my face It was as if uh, uh, I had a tiny old-fashioned lawnmower With dull blades that pulled uh, Slowly each hair from my face But now I'm treating my face right Treating it like the beautiful creature that it is Well for a limited time New members get their first month of executive razor With a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter For only five bucks with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for five bucks. In your first uh, month box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of their shaved butter. After that, uh, after your first month, a magical leprechaun is sent to your home to shave your face for you. How cool is that? You know? Because you haven't been shaved until Shamrock McBlady Razor gets a hold of your mug. No, after the first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically to you at a regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments. Cancel any time if you like. You can only get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash timesuck. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash timesuck. Do it for your face. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program, according to Jim Jones. 1975, the election of George Muscone. Uh, Okay, despite all the shady shady stuff Jim is doing now behind the scenes, Jim Jones becomes a force to be reckoned with in the San Francisco political scene of the 70s. How? Even though the People's Temple never had more than 20,000 members at the most—that's the cult's estimate—probably no more than 5,000. That's that's the outside investigator's estimate. Uh, Jim could get 2,000 of his followers to enthusiastically campaign for whatever local politician he chose with six hours' notice. They could volunteer to rally, go door-to-door to to drum up votes— protest another candidate whatever was needed and in 1975 jim had his people help liberal candidate george moscone get elected mayor in exchange you know little i'll scratch your back you scratch mine for jim jones being appointed as housing commission chairman well all right the increased visibility that came with jones getting back into politics would lead to his downfall just like he had to leave indianapolis after getting uh, involved in politics years earlier that time for promoting racial integration leading to local races chasing him out. This time, he and his followers shown up to a political event caught the eye of local investigative journalists. And he showed up to, you know, multiple political events. Uh, They wanted to know what his little people's temple group was all about. Who were these people that would stand up every time Jims would speak and enthusiastically cheer? What was going on here? You know? And then fear of reasonable people having reasonable concerns would chase him out of the Bay Area. One of the journalists who started to become curious about Jim was Phil Tracy, a reporter for the Village Voice who actually died last year in 2016, and who had just started working for the popular New West magazine in the Bay Area uh, in the uh, early 70s. And he and Marshall Kilduff wrote an expose on the cult that Jim got an advanced copy of on July 31st, and it was published the next day on August 1st. And apparently when he read it, he told his followers they had to leave the country that night for Guyana. I read the article, and it's an interesting look at the People's Temple. On the one hand, it states that they offer a variety of social services in San Francisco from their local branch on Geary Street, Temple members support and staff a free diagnostic and outpatient clinic, a physical therapy facility, a drug program that claims to have rehabilitated some 300 addicts, and a legal aid program for about 200 people a month. They have a free dining hall that feeds more homeless than any of the city's other soup kitchens, and they do all this without government funding. They contribute to local papers, supporting freedom of the press. They donate to the NAACP, the ACLU, the Farm Workers Union. The People's Temple set up a fund for the widows of slain policemen. They ran an escort service for local senior citizens. I'm assuming they meant uh, they helped elderly people get to places they needed to go, as opposed to providing them with uh, uh, Lady of the Night escorts. Although, you know, I guess providing prostitutes for the elderly, you know, still charitable in, in its way. Uh they did a lot of other things, but then Phil uh, spoke to several former members who let them know all wasn't sunshine and rainbows and, and you know free services at the People's Temple. First off, members were expected to attend services several times a week that could last until the following daybreak. Members were paddled for infractions like not being enthusiastic enough during Jim's sermons. Members were required to undergo a process called catharsis. When they had to lay down on the floor and not respond to verbal insults and criticism from other members, over time, these catharsis sessions began to include physical abuse, beatings, including the strange boxing matches I told you about earlier. Uh, Phil mentions members having to confess to false crimes like molesting their kids. Uh, you know, I mentioned that earlier as well, uh, the, the, the blackmail stuff. Members were bullied into giving all their possessions to the church. Those who didn't give all their possessions over to the church would receive receive extreme catharsis sessions. Uh, the journalists interviewed more than a dozen former Temple members members who agreed to have their photos released with their claims. Former members claimed uh, that years before, the abuse started out as just mental. Jim Jones would verbally degrade one member in front of the group, but then when he was done, he'd hug him. He'd tell him he was sorry that they went through that, but it was necessary to strengthen them for the cause. And Father Jim loves you. Father loves you. It's like he was a boot camp drill sergeant, breaking them down so he could rebuild them in his image. And then physical beatings began. At first, just swats in the butt with the belt. Maybe two or three. Then the belt was replaced with a paddle. Then the paddle was replaced with a board. And then the number of times there were spanked increased from a few, you know, maybe five, ten swats at first to then 25 to then 50 to 100 as time went on. Members rationalized the punishment as being for their own good. You know, as negative reinforcement to keep them making positive choices. One of the former members uh, then claimed their 16-year-old daughter... Hugged a non people Temple member who was thought to be a lesbian, and the hug was interpreted as sexual, and sexual relationships were frowned upon. The girl was spanked with a wooden board 75 times until her butt looked like raw hamburger. She couldn't sit down for two weeks. Ah, uh, fuck, that sounds ridiculous. Former members report Jim being uh, beginning to refer to himself as God more and more often in his sermons. You know, as time went on, they talk about uh, realizing he was faking the faith healing demonstrations. He uh, still, you know, used to gather donations for the church and recruit new members. Uh, and again, like we learned before, members were asked to be part of the faking. All of this is coming out in this article. You know, members are saying uh, they found out that the various home group homes, the temple uh, owned across the uh, the state, state money for patients was was given to the church, and then the church was would take uh the, the money supposedly given for the group home and they would just put that in the church's pockets and then just kind of give the group home back just enough kind of like they was doing with the people's wages earlier you know taking what they were bringing in and then giving back a, a much smaller amount for them to try and try and make it work so he's skimming he's skimming money from the government supposed to go to the patients And the church has taken all this money the last couple years, and they're using it to build up this Jonestown escape plan in Guyana, this future home of theirs. Uh, Fear tactics are being used to get members to give over their belongings. You know, Jim would tell his largely black congregation that the U.S. government would very soon be rounding them up into concentration camps, just like Hitler had done with the Jewish people. And they had to get to Jonestown ASAP before this happened. Man, fear, always a powerful marketing tool. I wish I could pull that off (laughs) sometimes, you know? You listen to Time Suck every week. You get ten friends to listen to the Time Suck. Or the great god Nimrod will eat your babies and your homes in his powerful Sasquatch Jaws. I don't think anyone will buy that. Uh, members said the only reason Jim expanded into San Francisco and Los Angeles was to make more money. You know, you know he make more money than he could living near Ukiah. There were other claims, too, uh, such as sleep was frowned upon for members. Members were never supposed to sleep more than six hours uh, straight. Never supposed to sleep more than six hours a night. You know, usually much less than that. I guess, you know, keep them confused. Keep them tired and easy to control. There are claims of members being pissed on at catharsis sessions. Holy degradation, Batman. Claims of juveniles being abused, forced into wrestling matches, similar to the weird boxing matches. The New West journalist suggested these claims should be investigated by social workers. The journalist suggested the government should look into the government funds being uh, given to run group homes, being illegally funneled into the church. The article says the church makes it very hard for members to leave and that once members get to Guyana, it may be impossible for them to leave. It references most of the temple's properties also being put up for sale. The last paragraph of this article is eerily prophetic. It says, The story of Jim Jones and his people's temple is not over. In fact, it has only begun to be told. Well, August 1977, after the publication of that article in the New West, Jones relocates his entire operation to Guyana in northeastern South America and, uh, and does it almost immediately, and to explore, uh, almost overnight, he takes off. Uh, it takes off within days. And to, and to explore that relocation, what Jonestown was all about, and the eventual massacre that would occur there, let's hop on out of this here timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Man, what a crazy ride so far, huh? When I heard that Jim Jones set up a compound in the jungles of South America, initially my first thought was, who in the right mind would follow this son of a bitch? You know? No one in their right mind, but he had carefully brainwashed his followers out of their right minds. Their right minds were, were fucking long gone. He used sleep deprivation. He degraded them emotionally and physically. He controlled every aspect of their lives. He would gotten many of them to sell all their belongings. I'm sure many of them felt like, you know, they were way past the point of going back to their former lives. You know, no one likes to think they've thrown away their lives on a series of stupid choices. So they probably rationalized it all. The, the power of human rationalization is very, very strong. You know, they convinced themselves that Jim somehow maybe was God. You know, and you do what God tells you to do, even if he doesn't make any sense. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. They'd already heard that as a kid. You know, and and Jim, Jim Buttplay Jones, he's mysterious as fuck. You know, easier just to go along with it and stop thinking for yourself. Just let Jim tell you what to do. Well, the first group to uh, go to Guyana to look into settling, uh, setting up the temple agricultural mission was a group of about eight people. December 16th to December 28th, 1973, the people's temple negotiated a lease of uh, 3,800 acres of jungle, and located, uh, it was located about 150 miles west of the Guy- Guyanese capital of Georgetown. The site was isolated, had soil of low fertility, even by Guyanese standards, so they were happy to give it to them. The nearest body of water was seven miles away. It had to get, make, take muddy roads to get there. Jonestown's uh, location was advantageous, not only for Jones, because it was isolated, you know, make it harder for people to leave, but also for the Guyanese government, because the settlement stood not far from Guyana's disputed border with Venezuela, and the Venezuela uh, military would be re- reluctant to kind of storm in there if they were risking killing Americans. So the place was, uh, it was beyond remote. It was truly out in the jungle. Uh, December of 1974, a group of 30 or so people's temple followers came from California and a charter flown by Norman James to visit, see how things were progressing. Uh, some, some stayed, brought the total up to about 25 people by the end of 1976, about 45 people. Temple members are working hard to clear the jungle, build a community, create an agricultural project which grew pineapple, uh, cassava, idos. Uh, Other tropical fruits and vegetables that I'd never fucking heard of. Uh, The group also raised livestock for consumption. They built a chicory. uh, A little chicory. A little Jim Jones chicory. Welcome. Welcome to Jim Jones Chicken Shack. Uh, They produced both eggs, chicken, uh, piggery, source of pork and ham. If you don't like the chicory, you try Jim Jones piggery. You get yourself, Jim Jones. Uh, By January 1977, the number of residents had grown to about 50. The setting was remote, but they had running water, electricity, sewage system. They built dormitory housing. They divided workers up into education of the young, care of the elderly, livestock, agriculture, uh, etc. They, 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 you know, would sew their own clothes. By the time of the massacre, they were, they were almost totally self sufficient. You know, they had plans to build a sawmill, had a doctor, had a pharmacy, nursery, all kinds of shit. They had a radio system. Uh, radio system that only Jim Jones used. Check out how crazy this is. He recorded new propaganda and sermons constantly. And for at least the last few months of life in Jonestown, he would replay old sermons and then mix in new ones, and he would play his various messages on this radio system that was broadcast throughout the compound 24 hours a day every day. You heard the voice of Jim Jones screaming nonsense constantly. You fucking woke up in the middle of the night and heard it. What a great way to break down your followers psychologically. What a great brainwashing technique. Jim Jones news was the only news you would hear. There was no radio other than his, no TV, nothing else, you know? And a lot of his messages revolved around how much the U.S. hated them and that U.S. forces would be sent down to destroy them at any time. So by 1978, Jim's paranoia is getting out of control. He's becoming totally unhinged, right? His addiction to amphetamines is becoming more powerful. He's having a harder time hiding it from his followers, Now he's just fucking drugged out of his mind. His sermons are delivered to becoming borderline incoherent. He's becoming more and more obsessed in his paranoia with thinking his followers want to leave him. Leaving Jonestown becomes completely forbidden. Going home is called blasphemy. People uh, who voiced wanting to leave are shamed in front of the others. They're beaten. I've listened to audio clips of him chastising people who just want to go home and visit their families, and he just becomes enraged. Physical abuse has continued. Residents are still being beaten. Jim's still having sex with whomever he chooses, male or female, from his followers. You know, again, just amphetamines like crazy. He's becoming more paranoid that capitalistic forces are trying to destroy what he's built. And an interesting thing about Jim's view on politics is that uh, defeatism and nihilism he had down there. He had it long before Jonestown. He never thought so- socialism would triumph in the end. He basically thought that best case, they could just delay the inevitable attack from outside forces. You know, just, en- just enjoy the socialist dream while it lasts because it's not going to last for long. And yet people still followed him. I am amazed about about that nihilistic aspect of him, you know. Because I think it's one thing to get people to follow you when you tell them you're taking them to a new better place, you're showing them a, a new way to heaven. You got all the answers, you know. I think it's a lot harder to get people to follow you into just nothingness and eventual despair and destruction. Just this fatalistic fucking attitude of everything's not going to work out. Jim uh, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in man. There was no no God, uh, and and man's nature ultimately was greedy and evil. But the right thing to do, you know, according to Jim according to Jim Jones, uh, was to fight that uh, that nature as hard as you could, live purely for as long as you could, before the outside world came to destroy you. And because of this pessimistic view, you know, he'd been thinking about mass suicide for years. He would planned out the poison Kool-Aid recipe long before the congressman would come. Uh, he'd staged numerous fake suicides down in Jonestown. We talked about fake suicides being staged, uh, going back to Ukiah. You know, he was ready. He had a plan. And a few members who escaped from Jonestown before the end... Uh, uh, you know about the they they knew about the the fake suicides they knew about the beatings about not being allowed to leave you know word was getting out there was media interest back in the States after the New West article came out and Jim fled. Family members are now starting to write to their congressmen saying they're afraid for the lives of their loved ones down in Guyana. Public interest is growing. What are they doing down there? Word about this gets back to Jim. He gets more and more defeatist about the whole situation. By the time uh, Congressman Leo Ryan announced he was going to fly down to Jonestown on November 1, 1978, I mean, Jim was just fucking – he was right there. He was ready to make the call about mass suicide. Uh, the Jonestown members in Jones inner circle were super nervous about Congressman Ryan's visit because Jones, in his increasing paranoia, would vacillate between saying they should let him, you know, in, let him see what a wonderful community they'd, they'd built, and then also saying other times they should just kill them all the moment they arrive. Well, the investigation party does does arrive. Uh, survivors of Congressman Ryan's group arrive uh, in Jonestown, and they are not killed on site. Survivors of the investigation party talk in documentaries about how impressed they were with Jonestown, saying it was Spartan. But incredible, what they'd built for themselves in the middle of the South American jungle. The party came on a Friday, uh, and that Friday night, the community put on a concert for Ryan and his group. Uh, some of the members played in a band, and I've listened to the, the footage. Again, there's a lot of recorded stuff out there. Uh, it sounded They sounded great, actually. They sounded really, really good. Like, really good. Uh, it, it's so eerie to watch, knowing what's about to happen to them, because they look so happy. They look so alive and vibrant, singing, dancing, you know, little kids, you know, lots of little kids out there singing and dancing, you know, beautiful young adults singing and dancing, so enthusiastic, you know, happy elderly people. They just look so fucking happy. And at one point, Congressman Ryan takes the mic in the middle of this little party, speaks to the group, and he says, quote, I think that all of you know that I'm here to find out more about you. Questions have been raised about your operation here. Well, I can tell you right now, that from the few conversations I've had with some of the folks here already this evening, that whatever the com- com, you know, comments and complaints there are about people here who believe, that there, there is also people here who believe this is the best thing that ever happened to them in their whole life. And the crowd goes nuts. They cheer so hard when he says that there's people there who think this is the best thing that happened to them in their whole life. I mean, sp- spontaneous, emotional cheering for like a solid minute. But not all of that cheering, as it turns out, was genuine. A few minutes later, two different People's Temple members passed some of uh, Ryan's party members uh, some notes asking them to please help them get out of Jonestown. And then the next day, members start telling them, uh, uh, you know, Ryan's party on camera that they would also like to leave immediately. They wanted to return to the U.S. with Ryan. And then when word got out that a few people wanted to leave, a few more people wanted to leave. And then the fun vibe of the previous night of singing and dancing really changes. You can see this footage. You know, uh, and Jim Jones uh, starts making pleas with defectors to stay, telling them, you, you, you can't leave. You're, you're my people. You're my children. And then one of Jones's followers tells Ryan that he needs to leave, that he is in extreme danger. But Ryan tells him, you don't have to worry. We're safe. You have the congressional shield around you. Well, it turns out that shield wasn't uh, bulletproof. as We're going to find out soon. Uh, minutes later, another temple member approaches the congressman, shaking and crying, and then says, motherfucker, you're going to die. Pulls out a knife and tries to attack Ryan. Others tackle this guy, but not before he gets some of his own blood when he accidentally cuts himself all over Ryan's shirt. So now the congressman's covered in blood. Everyone's starting to fucking freak out, as they should be. The crew knows they got to leave now. we got to get out of here now. Ryan, the journalist, and the team that came with him, uh, a few Temple members who wanted to leave, all take off to the airport. Minutes later, all hell breaks loose. After the crew arrives at the tiny airport, just a landing strip that had been cut out of the jungle, a dump truck pulls up next to the Guyana Airlines plane. T- temple members pour out of this dump truck open fire on the investigation party 16 people end up getting shot five would die including the congressman a backup cessna was also on the runway and after a temple member who pretended he wanted to escape it was really a plant he was part of the assassination party pulls out a gun killed some of the pastors in that plane uh, the shooters overpowered toss out of the plane the pilot and co-pilot fly back to georgetown other survivors made it out alive by fleeing into the surrounding jungle and just hiding and playing dead Jim Jones knew that even though the congressman was impressed by Jonestown, once those defectors made it back to safety, they would talk about the beatings, the sexual abuse, the buggery, right? The refusal to allow anyone to leave. Talk about how his little socialist dictatorship experiment in the jungle, you know, it would be over. He, he knew it was going to be over if Ryan and the others made it back to life. You know, maybe he, maybe he thought if he killed them, he could just keep word from getting out for a little longer. You know, maybe he thought uh, Cuba or Russia would take them in because that was an escape plan he'd mentioned to his followers many times. And if shit went down, they were going to take off to, to Russia or more likely, you know, maybe he just killed them out of pure spite. He was furious that they had come down to his sanctuary. He never wanted them to come. You know, he was just he was so angry that he, he couldn't escape eventual investigation into his colony, no matter how far away from the U.S. he had made it. And for crashing and ruining his little party, those motherfuckers needed to die. And then minutes later, before the temple members even got back from the assassination, uh, not all of them would get get back. Some would get apprehended by authorities. Jim Jones gathers everyone in for a meeting and explains to them that they must commit revolutionary suicide. It's time. It's time. They've been talking about it for years. Now it's really time. And if you're very morbidly curious, you can hear this meeting. Jim recorded a lot of sermons, and this was no exception. There's a 45-minute audio clip on YouTube of the final moments of this compound. Listen to it if you want, but I'm not going to recommend it. I really am not. It's going to mess your head up for a while. It is horrific. I felt like I needed to hear it to do this episode, but if I wasn't researching this podcast after a few minutes, I, I would have turned it off. Uh, here's a little kind of summary of the recording. Uh, Jim, at the beginning of it, he says, If we can't live in peace, let's die in peace. Crowd cheers. You know, it's like two minutes in. Three minutes in, he informs his followers that they all need to die. He tells the members that in retaliation for the shooting of the plane with the congressman on it, the U.S. is going to send troops to butcher the people's temple children. He keeps saying this. They're going to come torture and kill our kids. Someone asks if it's too late to go to Russia, and Jim tells them that, yes, it is too late. They won't have time to escape from the compound before the U.S. soldiers get there. When one of his followers won't stop arguing that they should at least try to get to Russia, he explains that he's not going to try, you know, that there's no point in his followers living, because I'm the best friend you'll ever have. You know, he just says, you know, I'm going to die, and so you're going to die. The ego on this monster, man, if he can't do what he wants to his followers, they may as all well be dead. Uh, man, he says it's the fool that continues to say they're winning when they're losing. We've lost, friends. He doesn't want his followers to see him captured, see his little fiefdom brought down. Well, then this one woman, oh my God, this Christine, this poor woman, she won't give up making rational points, and no one is going along with her. It's so fucking terrible to listen to. You know, she says stuff like, I I still think that as an individual, I I have a right to what I think, what I feel. I think we all have the right to our own destiny as individuals. And I think I, I have a right to choose mine and everyone else has a right to choose theirs. Now, when she says this, this perfectly rational, great point, fucking silence from the group. Then another follower tells her, Christine, you're only standing here because he was standing here in the first place, referring to Jim Jones. So I don't want you talking about having an individual life. Your life has been extended to today because of him. And the crowd cheers. You know, it's like everyone's taking fucking crazy pills. Uh, In a bit, he says, you'll regret it if you don't die this day. And some other cult member starts yelling at Christine and the crowd is with her. You know, the person yelling at Christine, you must be scared to die. Later, the lady yells, you won't be no good in Russia, goddammit. Jim has the majority of these people convinced that the only reasonable thing to do now is to kill themselves. Well, 22 minutes in, the 45-minute audio clip, someone says, the congressman has been murdered. And then Jim says, it's all over. It's all over. Get the medicine. Referring to the poison. 25 minutes in. Oh, this is so horrific. The youngest kids. The youngest kids are poisoned first. You can hear them scream. And try not to drink the poison. It's fucking awful. Uh, Twenty-seven minutes in, uh, some follower starts talking about reincarnation and about how they're on this journey to the afterlife. How this is all this is all a good thing. And then twenty-eight minutes in, yeah, man, you hear the kids screaming. Twenty-nine minutes in, a follower starts telling people to stop crying, saying there's nothing to cry about. You know, you should cry when you when you come into this world. Huge applause as she ends with, "We should be happy." After a little pro-death rant, thirty-one minutes in. Jim cuts off some woman saying her last words to the crowd. You know, He's just like, for God's sake, let's just get on with it. He's just getting frustrated that they're not just dying quickly. Th- uh, three minutes in, someone comes up to profusely thank Jim for the time they did have in Jonestown. It's so surreal. They're thanking this guy as he's killing them. 34 minutes in, Jim says, there's nothing we can do, friends. We can't separate ourselves from our own people. He speaks so calmly as if group suicide is the only choice. It's the only logical choice. If anything, he seems like a little bored, a little, little disinterested. It's very surreal again, very surreal. Talking about all his followers dying as if they're just going to bed for the night. Don't really have anything planned the next day. 36 minutes in, uh, Jim is frustrated with people getting upset. Instructs them, die with some dignity. That's how communists should die. You, th- you think they're going to allow us to get away with this? You must be insane. <laughs> the irony of him saying that. 38 minutes in, I call on you to stop this nonsense. And in response to people crying, all the upset children. I call on you to quit exciting your children when all they're doing is going to quiet rest. I'm calling you to stop this now. If you have any respect at all, are we black, proud, and socialist, or what are we? Not even saying this gives anyone pause. No one's like, "Uh, uh, uh Jim, uh, you're you're white. You know that you're very, uh, very white, right?" Uh, Forty minutes in, uh, Jim says, "We're not letting them take our life. We're laying down our life." Big cheers from the crowd. Big cheers. Forty-two minutes in, set an example for others. A thousand people who don't like the way the world is. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. 43 minutes in, it's so quiet. And the recording stays quiet until it's over because they're all dying. Shortly after the recording, Jones himself did not drink the punch. Once he knew his followers were dead, he shot himself. Or, Or maybe had himself shot. By one of the last surviving members there's speculation on both sides not only had Jim killed everyone in Jonestown he'd also commanded that one of his temple members who was in uh, their church at Georgetown in Guyana with her three kids also kill herself and her children and she fucking did she didn't have any of the poison punch so she used a knife stabbed her two younger kids to death then her grown daughter and, and her each slashed each other's throats Another small group of Temple members that included Jim's biological son, Stephen, were away from the compound that day to play a basketball game against the national Guyanese team. They also lived, as did some of the, uh, those who shot Congressman Ryan and others at the airport and didn't make it back in time for the punch party because they were apprehended. And a handful of others assigned with some tasks, such as giving the Temple's remaining money. The Soviets did make it out alive. And then that was it. And that was it. A community of nearly 1,000 people in Guyana and a handful of others still living in San Francisco, L.A., and Ukiah is, is gone. Nearly all the Temple members are dead. They, they, almost all of them had already taken off to Guyana the US government seizes the remaining assets of the church shutting down the California branches since the whole movement was based around Jim and he didn't leave any scripture behind to follow since it was more political than religious by the end there's no longer a movement for, for the surviving US members to even be a part of just fuck poof one night man it is so 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 unreal they're dancing singing clapping looking as full of life as a human can look and the next day it is all over and there's nearly a thousand dead bodies piled around in this compound in the Guyana jungle. So, all right, so before I get to my last thoughts on this suck, there are, of course, alternative explanations for what happened at Jonestown on the web. Of course there are. Some people think that Jonestown was much more than a cult. Uh, they think that Jim Jones was a CIA operative who was performing numerous mind control experiments on behalf of the U.S. government. There are numerous carefully edited YouTube Alex Jones-ish fucking videos produced by people absolutely convinced this. I watched one of these videos, and it was just some silly X-Files bullshit, man. Uh, Even the video description, you can read that, and it's, again, like i talked many episodes back, you know, it's like when you see, like, uh, uh, some crystal reference in a website, you're like, okay. Uh, It says, contrary to mainstream media propaganda, the People's Temple in Jonestown, Guyana was not mass suicide. It was mass murder by the CIA. A lot of all caps in, in here. If you wonder uh, where the people end up who are disappeared from the privatized prison system, mental health facilities, child protective services, foster homes, and orphanages, etc., here is your answer. Nazi war criminals continue their crimes against humanity, funded and protected by the same Rockefeller banking interests which run the U.S. and other governments to develop new ways of controlling and killing innocent people. If you still believe our media would never lie to us. Or that our CIA would never be this evil. This video should help you break that programming. All right, all right, fucking dickhead. Way to take a partial truth or a small truth and then expand a bunch of nonsense off it. Yeah, sure, some shit happens, but come on. I did a lot of research. I don't fucking buy this for a second. Sure, CIA did it. It's all the CIA. And the Earth is flat. And NASA guards are patrolling the ice wall. And space lizards control every goddamn move. Get the fuck out of here. Well, there is another uh, slightly more believable conspiracy theory out there, uh, that the reason Jones died of a gunshot instead of being poisoned uh, was not because he ever uh, intended to kill himself. They think he didn't. After killing his followers, uh, some people believe he was going to take all the people's temple money he had, you know, hoarded, and he was going to flee to Cuba. Uh, But he was intercepted at the last second by Bojangles! That three-legged, one-eyed, genetically modified hellhound hates communists almost as much as he loves defenders of freedom and Grammy winners Michael McDonald and James Ingram riding upon his back, machine guns in hand, riding ridding the Guyana jungle of communists like gardeners pulling out weeds. Yamo time suck! Ho, 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 yamo time suck! Come on! I couldn't do a bunch of bullshit in that last episode, and then nothing this week? You fucking kidding me? You can't go from getting bojangled and mcdonald on the reg... To none at all in one week? Come on. I know some of you are upset, but I had to. had to lighten this one up a bit right now, man. It was getting fucking heavy for my own sake just to get through the rest. Jesus. It's a crazy ride, huh? Man, what a complicated dude. I'd feel a lot better in some ways reading about a guy like Jim Jones if he was just all bad. If his his obvious uh, motivation was just harming people. It'd make him easier to be like, well, fucking, yeah, yeah, sure. He was just an evil son of a bitch. That's why he did it. But as bad as he was, as horrible as the deeds he committed were... Ugh, so horrible. He wasn't all bad. It's uh, complicated, man. In Indianapolis, he really did fight for racial equality when very few other white people did. Initially misguided as he may have been. He really did seem like he was genuinely passionate about the plight of the poor and the disenfranchised, and he wanted to create a better world for them. Because he did feed the poor. He did help them pay their bills. That happened. He did help take care of the elderly. He did initially flee uh, uh, out of Indiana because of racist persecution. I think it's very possible that his true intent at that point may have still been to create uh, some, some, some good society, some peaceful socialist society that he thought would be good. But maybe not. Maybe maybe even then, was he already dreaming of being a dictator? I mean, the dude read Hitler and Stalin as a kid. Stalin wasn't a good dude. Millions of citizens starved on uh, Stalin's watch. Mi- millions more were executed for flimsy crimes against the state, made-up crimes, persecuted. Out of Stalin's paranoid dictatorship, most historians agree Stalin was responsible for the deaths of about 20 million people. 20 million. Why would you want to emulate anything that bastard did? And what was up with all the sodomizing? <laughs> was he attracted to men or was it about control? Was it about obedience in some sick way? And then what about the borderline raping of the female members? I watched tons of interviews where women said they would just be invited by Jim into his Jonestown office. He'd come in, he'd just take his clothes off, and without even speaking a word, he'd just start having sex with them. If they cried, which some did, he'd tell them he's doing it for their own good. This is the father helping you. How creepy is that? Was that about sex or just power? I think all that was just about power, man. He just seemed to crave more of it as he went along. He was an addict, you know. He, he was addicted to power and control more than he was addicted to amphetamines. I think, you know, the greater the criticism from the outside world, the greater obedience he seemed to need from his followers. First, he's just, just helping people out. Then he's their prophet, right? Then he's their god. And then what? You know, then he's beating them. You know, did he want to be their god all along, all the way back to when he's a student pastor in Indiana? faking those uh, faith healings Did he dream about having total control over the lives of others back when he was a a kid reading about Hitler. We'll never have all those answers, you know. All I think we can do is learn from a tragedy like this. And what I learned is what I already knew. Stay away from narcissistic control freak, power trippers, you know, like this asshole at all costs. Don't allow yourself to be mistreated like that. And don't let anyone you know or yourself get sucked into some bullshit like this if you can help it. So before we do our top five takeaways, let's go over uh, the top ten warning signs you or someone you know is in a cult, From culteducation.com Number one, uh, absolute authoritarianism Without meaningful accountability Again, these are the warning signs of a cult Number two, no tolerance for questions Or criticism or critical inquiry Number three, no meaningful financial disclosure Regarding budget, expenses Such as independently audited financial statements Number four, unreasonable fear About the outside world Such as impending catastrophe Sound familiar? Evil conspiracies, persecutions Mm Mm-hmm Number five, there's no legitimate reason to leave. Former followers are always wrong in leaving, negative or even evil in doing so. Yep. Uh, former members often relate to the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. That's why the, the article came out right in San Francisco. Uh, there are, number seven, there are records, books, news articles, uh, television programs that document the abuses of the group leader. That happened with them. Number eight, followers feel they can never be good enough. Uh, Yep, I read interviews and watch interviews with Yep, they would speak to that Number nine, the group leader is always right Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy play Jones was always right Number ten, the group uh, uh, Slash leader is the exclusive means of knowing Truth or receiving validation No other process of discovery is really acceptable Or credible, yeah, he was God, right He was the only one who knew, sounds like Jim Jones nailed all those and So now You know, if you end up in a cult Well, suck head, you don't say Don't say you weren't warned, alright Okay Time for some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one: Even though the phrase associated with mass murder slash suicide uh, of Jonestown is "Don't drink the Kool Aid," you know, meaning don't just blindly buy whatever someone else is selling you. Step back and think about it. The followers actually drank the generic version of Kool Aid Flavor Aid, specifically grape Flavor Aid. And apparently, uh, you can get twelve packs of Flavor Aid for a buck at Kmart. You know, when everyone starts saying uh, "Don't drink Kool Aid." You know you know that at least a few flavor execs, flavor execs were pissed. They're like, God damn it, Kool-Aid's always stealing our thunder. It's Flavor-Aid. Don't drink the Flavor-Aid. Wait. No, wait. No, do, no, do drink. Do drink the Flavor-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Ah, f- ah fuck it. Number two, uh, Jim Jones convinced straight Christian African-American men in the 1970s to let him sodomize them. That, to me, is even more morbidly impressive than convincing hundreds to kill themselves. Historically, American black Christian culture has not been real fond of homosexuality, especially amongst dudes. Maybe he really did have some kind of CIA mind control powers. Number three, new members agreed to sign documents confessing the heinous crimes they never committed so the People's Temple could use those fake confessions against them later if they tried to leave. If you somehow don't already know that you should never, ever do that, if you're thinking about joining an organization that needs uh, potential future blackmail information from you, you need to not join that organization, right? If you're still confused right now as to why that's a big deal, you need to not join any organization. You need to stay at home alone as much as humanly possible to minimize the possibility of making horrible choices for yourself because you're not good with decisions. Number four, if Jim would have just focused on the socialism he claimed to promote, Jones Sound might have worked out on some, you know, some small scale. You know, if you want to have a commune out in the jungle, get other people to live there and share in all the work and be communal hippies, fine. But he, but he had to swindle their money, man. He had to literally spank him. had to have sex with his followers, just like Pablo Escobar, ego and an unquenchable thirst and addiction to more and more power and control eventually brought him down and brought down over 900 people with him because enough was never enough. And number five, we're doing a new kind of number five now. Time sucker Nick Wentz suggested making one of the top five takeaways a new piece of information rather than just another recap. I like that. Well, here we go. More info for you suckers. Number five, Jonestown wasn't the only mass suicide of the 20th century. On May 1st, 1945, up to 2,000 residents killed themselves after the arrival of Stalin's Soviet army spiked widespread panic in the town of Demen, Germany. No flavor aid this time, some weighed themselves down with stones and jumped into the river, some holding their kids as they did so. Some hung themselves, some shot themselves, some slashed their wrists, the wrists of others, etc., One more dark association between Stalin and Jim Jones. Time suck. Top five takeaways. right, thanks, sucks head for listening. I had a lot of fun with that one. I had a lot of fun. I felt pretty strong about my pronunciation game too. So I appreciate that. Uh, If you enjoy uh, the suck, please follow it on social media. We got, we got our own social media now ran by a time sucker, Jordan, uh, who is doing a great job at time suck podcast on Instagram, Twitter, all right, uh, backslash uh, or slash time suck Podcast on Facebook, and if you're in the Bay Area, uh, come see me at Punchline in San Francisco on Battery Street this weekend, May 10th through 13th. I'll also be just north of Los Angeles at Levity Live in Oxnard, California, May 26, 27, and 28. Uh, go to TimesuckPodcast.com where you can link to more tour dates. And next week on Timesuck, it's the dark web, the internet's black market, using Bitcoin instead of traceable cash. Tor, free software that lets users uh, anonymously communicate with each other and buy and sell goods and services anonymously across the world. Uh, it's a crazy place that I'm excited to learn more about. i a little bit nervous, honestly, to learn more about. The creator of one of its marketplaces uh, went by the handle, the Dread Pirate Roberts, ran an illegal store called the Silk, Ro- Silk Road, arrested and sentenced to life in prison in 2015 for computer crimes, uh, being charged with money laundering, computer hacking, conspiracy to traffic narcotics, procuring murder. So what the hell is the dark web? Who is this dread Pirate Roberts guy? What kind of hidden websites are out there? Turns out a lot. What do they sell? How do you find them? Am I going to get arrested just for looking this shit up on my computer? Uh, Listen to TimeSec next week and and find out. I feel like we're going to know a whole lot more about the place many of us spend hours on every single day, the World Wide Web. And that that fascinates me. There is a whole other side to the web that many of us know absolutely nothing about, but we're going to know a lot more about it. Uh, as of next Monday and until then, until next week, ha- have a great time. Suck heads, uh, be happy. You're not in a death cult. Stay curious and keep on sucking. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons?